Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> so oh, shit. That is a big-ass glass. Oh, my God. Oh, shit. That's, like, the fucking size of your head. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, hey y'all. <laughs> I don't. Uh, never <laughs> and we're back, and we're here. Hey y'all, what is up? Welcome back to the Red Rum and Red Wine Podcast, the podcast where we talk about murder, mystery, and mishaps. Here are two of them, right here. Here's Kristen, <laughs> and here's Sarah. Ooh, if you're here in this, then that means we fucked up. Either fucked yeah. up or had some technical it means we fucked up we had technical difficulties we got too drunk something happened happened. it's just life life Kristen and sarah style so yes this is a story that we have pre-recorded sometime in the past in advance in the past and advanced yep (laughs) and yeah and so you're listening to archived Kristen and Sarah today. Mm-hmm. Us in the past. I don't even know. So that means you're in the future. Yeah. What a fucking Matrix what? world that is. I had a glitch in the Matrix, I feel like, today. I've been having weird moments where, like, um, it's like the lights go out, but it's like the fucking sun. And I know um, most people would call that a blink, but it's like when I swear <laughs> that my eyes, I swear my eyes are open and it's like the uh, world goes out for a second. I'm like, whoa, what just happened? Whoa. <laughs> Any, anywho, now I am not on drugs. I'm just drinking a White Claw, just chilling back, hanging out, relaxing. Shout out, yeah. White Claw. What are you drinking today? I am drinking a... Uh, Brute Rosé Champagne. Oh, I didn't know. I think it's called Sophia. Yeah, fun fact, Nicolas Cage's father makes it. Yeah, I didn't even know he had a dad. Yeah, (laughs) neither did I. Um, Because apparently Nick Cage is a stage name, of course. Uh So his um, last name is apparently Coppola. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. This is the guy who makes National Treasure, right? The guy who's... Right, yeah. yeah. Well, the uh, the guy who's uh, ringing me up at the the store told me that. <laughs> I thought you were I about honestly... to say Nick Cage was the one ringing you up at the store. <laughs> I was like, damn, I know I know he went downhill. I didn't know it was that uh, far down. <laughs> no, um, I honestly was, like, not paying attention to what he was saying, to be honest. And I, all I heard him talking about, like, someone, Coppola, Nick Cage, and I was like, what? that's pretty cool Uh, i said something like oh yeah i've never had this before and he's like yeah well nick cage is a stage stage name it's coppola is him and his dad i was like oh okay just love when people know random facts of life yeah so yeah it's all right it's kind of not bad not bad not bad well speaking of random facts of life it's not really random but it is factual my story (laughs) oh cool (laughs) Is that a good segue? I don't even know. <laughs> it's, it's it's what happened. It's fine. Yeah, so today's story actually comes 
from Reddit. Well, not the story, but uh, me getting the idea for the story. So I want to say thanks to my dude, Ert Drop King on Reddit. Love the the name. Um, But yeah, he posted or they posted a they posted an article done by Janet Wilson of the free who is a free press staff writer. And it's basically this article that talks about a discussion that happens between two jury people in the courtroom that are basically, like, debating this case. And when I read the article, I thought it was really interesting. I had honestly never heard of this case, and I looked into it, and my mind was fucking blown. So I decided to bring it here today. So today I'm going to be talking about Benjamin Atkins, otherwise known as the Wood. Woodward Corridor Killer. Ooh. Okay. Um, the name sounds a little familiar, but I'm not sure yet. So. so he was like, it made news. He was, I say it later, but the FBI had dubbed him like the world's fastest serial killer. He So he had killed 11 women in the span of nine months between December of 1991 and August of 1992. So it the reason you would think that this case would be very well known and of course like that's a lot of women that is a huge amount of number that's a huge amount of women to be dead in such a short amount of time but unfortunately uh, the women that were killed were mainly sex workers and women of color, and Benjamin Atkins was a person of color as well. So I think okay. those details really uh, kind of like hyped down the case, or like kind of really uh, buried the case. Like it didn't give it a lot of national attention, which is really upsetting. And, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and it it does play a lot into the story, which I'll go into later on of like them catching him and whatever so i'm gonna start my story actually in the courthouse while they are debating so or i'm actually gonna start with the story that the article uh i read is talking about so the story starts off with juror deborah evans and she is sitting in the room that they send the jurors to to basically say like oh you're guilty or not guilty and not she's deliberate. Yeah. There you go. Thank you. So <laughs> they got sent to the room. They're in their little room deliberating uh, what is going to be Benjamin Atkins verdict. And as juror Deborah Evans is sitting there, she's sit- thinking to herself, there's no way that I can convict Benjamin Atkins of murder. There's no way that I can convict him guilty. And it's not necessarily the fact that she was denying his guilt. Like, she knew that he did what he did. That wasn't the question about it. But she was more so wanting to give him uh, innocent or, like, guilty or not guilty by reason of insanity. There you go. She wanted to give him not guilty by reason of insanity. So... During the months of the trial, she had heard Atkins' horrible upbringing. She had seen this man in court kind of wither away. She would see him rock in his chair, and she really just couldn't uh, see herself giving him a guilty verdict. She felt really bad about it. And when you hear about his childhood, you can kind of understand why she might think that. 
So Benjamin was born Benjamin Tony Atkins on August 26th of 1968 in Detroit, Michigan, and he was the youngest of two sons. Now, he had a really rough upbringing, so his father had actually abandoned him and his family shortly after he was born, and his mother had actually worked as a sex worker, and while she was a sex worker, she had gotten into drug use and formed an addiction out of that Mm. so while having to deal with his mother's addiction problems and the pain of his father abandoning the family uh, Benjamin would decide that he couldn't take it anymore and actually decided to run away from the house in 1970 and this would lead to a series of events which I couldn't really find a direct timeline but somehow he ends up getting sent to an orphanage out of this so I'm assuming like he probably got picked up by cops or something and when they couldn't he couldn't give information for the family or whatnot they just ended up sending him to an orphanage or he either went straight to one where his what his home was like and yeah well I mean yeah and he went away voluntarily so it's kind of hard to say if like they would send him back or if he would say like I just don't want to go but Either way, this orphanage would turn out to be just as worse, if not way worse, than his life at home. So Atkins would find himself the main target of the young boys who were at the orphanage, and they would put him under a tremendous amount of physical and sexual abuse. Fuck. And And I'm sorry, how old was he in 1970, like when he went to the orphanage? So he was born in 68. Okay, okay. Damn. No, that does not make sense. I was like, he ran away at two Two. years old. (laughs) Well, I think it was in the 70s. So he, I know I said 1970, but he did run away in the 70s. It doesn't say exactly what year that he had ran away, but I know it would say around age 10, he had a really traumatic experience, which I later go into so somewhere around the age of 10 I know he was at the orphanage for a few years like a quite a long time so it's hard to say exactly but I know at least from the age of 10 he was in that place gotcha so after experiencing the abuse from the boys at the house like even turning to the employees he would find no help from them and would even add to his trauma by abusing them himself themselves um it was even said when he was 10 that atkins would be raped by his own caseworker oh my god yeah so like the person that you have the most trust in to help this child fucking just traumatize the shit out of them that makes me so angry it's you're supposed to be helping these children yeah it's disgusting He would even go on to describe an event when he was 15, when he would wake up and basically look down and see that there was a man performing oral sex on him without his permission, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So at least from like 10 to 15, he was in this orphanage. So around five years, he's dealing with daily, it would say daily, like beatings. The boys would either be physically or sexually abusing them at least every day. Shit. Finally, after the five years of being there, he had managed... So I guess he did. He was there when he was 10. So after five years of being there, he managed to escape and at at that point decided to run back to his mother's house Hmm. because he obviously had nowhere to go at this point. He's 15. 
So he would describe that things would get slightly better once he got to the house and how he lived with his brother and his mother. But then one day he came to the shocking realization that his mother was a sex worker. Like up until this point, he had no idea Mm. when he walked in on his mother having sex with a client in their home. And this was apparently a very common occurrence that the brother and Benjamin just like had to get used to. And it was even said that he would be forced to go work with her and that he would often sit in the back seat while his mother performed tricks up in the front. Oh my God. So he just went to work with her or he went to work with her? I don't think it was anything like that. Um, I think it was basically him just watching her or like witnessing her do work. Like, I guess she had she didn't trust him at home alone or maybe the house was the only place that that she could work like gotcha yeah yeah yeah. like I know later on he would uh, he used the excuse that he would go into prostitution himself I don't really know if that's true or not but from what I read he didn't do anything any prostitution at that age okay or sex work I should say sorry so it would be from here that his hatred for sex workers would really grow like he really started to hate his mother and in return would hate anyone around him that was a sex worker like as soon as he would find out that fact about him it didn't matter like he just automatically hated that person damn so disgusted by her actions he would yet again leave the house but this time he wouldn't go to an orphanage he would just turn to the streets for comfort and that is where he would find drugs himself and become an addict himself as well Hmm. so it's kind of hard to see his job timeline from there he would go to work like a pizza cook or any kind of like labor jobs that didn't require any massive amount of skill but for the most part he was homeless and In the early 90s, when the crack cocaine epidemic hit Detroit, Atkins found himself right in the middle of that and found himself being a really heavy user. Damn. He would later describe that it was mixing his crack smoke with the warmth of liquor that not only gave him an enjoyable experience, but a great way to to survive the cold streets of the city. Oh, shit. It's another perspective on it. (laughs) It's... (laughs) Like, I remember... Like, yeah, I like to get high, but it keeps me warm. <laughs> well, I remember one time... Oh, my God. Sorry, Grandma. One time we were <laughs> driving... I was driving in the car with my grandparents, and it was cold, and she sees a homeless person, and um, we were talking about, like, oh, you can give him money, and she's like, no, just give him a bottle of liquor. It's going to keep him warmer than anything. It's <laughs> like, oh, my God, Grandma. <laughs> oh, it's good stuff. But, yeah, I mean... Uh, the liquor for sure I know works. The crack smoke, I can't I can't speak for that personally. But you gotta do what you gotta do to survive, I guess. So most of the people uh, that he would meet actually would speak rather fondly of him. So like he was a pretty nice guy. Although when he got drunk or high, he of course would show signs of an antipersonal or antisocial personality disorder and had a lot of misogynistic behavioral traits. And he and just for reference, he I looked at a photo and I thought of him as such a big dude. I mean, he's big, I guess. He's 5'5 five five and 175 pounds. So he's like average. He's not ginormous like the giant that I thought when I first saw his photo. 
because he looks oh, very like, beefy when gotcha. he's first arrested. But then, like, later on in court, he kind of uh, slims down a bit, I guess. So he looks more yeah. his size. So he's 5'5"? Five, five? Yeah. That's one article that I read, and I'm like, damn, that's pretty short. But so, yeah. and it makes, it kind of makes sense. So his first attack that ever occurred was in October of 1991. Atkins would, it, it's kind of like, I read different articles and they say different things, but either way, he ends up meeting a sex worker named Donna, who was 36 at the time. Uh, now, Donna isn't her real name, and you can find her real name if you go online, but in one article I read, she wanted to keep it anonymous, so for the sake of that, mm-hmm. I'm just going to call her Donna out of respect. Donna. So, she either accepted money from him for sex, or she was a drug addict, sorry, or she was a drug addict, and they kind of, like, hung out in abandoned buildings together and did drugs. Either way... They would go into a vacant Highland Park restaurant that Atkins would attack Donna. He would rape and sodomize her. And there would be like a brief moment of pause. And Donna would say that in that moment, she knew that the next step would be Atkins attempting to kill her. So she completely naked ran out of the building and was like fighting him off viciously. Thank God someone just happened to be walking by when I guess they were out of the building kind of like struggling near the doorway. And this person would basically like scare Atkins from attacking her further. And Donna was able to run away and get away with her life. Go, Donna. Yeah. Go. Run, Donna. Run. Go, Donna. Go. Yeah. So, like, I don't really know how large Donna is because I know, like we said, he was just 5'5", five five, but it would be at that point that Atkins would realize, like, I need to go for smaller women or mm. I need to go for, like, weaker women who are maybe, like, a bit more drugged up. And it would go also come to that realization of like I can't leave them alive it was also after this that uh, he supposedly started carrying a condom around though he wouldn't carry it all the time but sometimes Um, it was hard to say though if this was him trying to avoid getting an STD or if it was to for him to not leave evidence behind like DNA right because he he does that. I mean, either way, a condom would would be a good idea. Yeah. If you're gonna, not to give you tips on how to commit a crime, but yeah, if you're like gonna rape these women, I, carrying a condom is probably smart. And, uh, it is. I don't know when he got it, but Benjamin Atkins does get HIV at some point in his life. Okay. Because he is HIV positive when he goes to jail. Okay. Spoiler: He goes to jail. Um, yeah i wonder if he uh knew at all if or when he contracted it or when they just like i have they they just like tested him i i just know that he got it it says nothing about how he could have potentially contracted it or when he did so it's just an interesting thing like obviously if you have hiv you're not worrying about getting an std when you're raping someone so it would be more so to not leave dna evidence behind but it was just an interesting fact that i read yeah 
Well, I'm sure you could get further STDs, but also you would give the person HIV. Well, you're killing them right after. Yeah, true. <laughs> I mean, doesn't. Sorry, I'm sorry, but it doesn't really mm. matter. Doesn't in that case, uh, yeah, you can raw dog it. It's probably fine. for the DNA stuff. Yeah, yeah, for the DNA for sure. So unfortunately, after this, it would only take him two months after the attack on Donna for Benjamin to get the urge to attack again. Mm. So this time his victim would not get away. And on December 14th of 1991, he would strangle and kill Debbie Ann Friday in Highland Park. Now she had been reporting reported missing on December 8th. So, and you're going to find the trend. Um, it, you do not find a, exact date with these women when they died uh you'll some sometimes you will get a missing date uh, but for the most part it's just when their body was found and a lot of times she could have been killed like when she went missing on the 8th but she was discovered on the 14th yeah and it's not like we don't know if when she was reported missing if that was for real the last day that she had been alive been seen, out and about yeah, you know because yeah. that's just when the last time someone saw her or been reported missing so she could have been missing before that either way her body was found on the 14th and um yeah the bodies when they were found were so often badly decomposed that it was hard for them to get like proper dates and stuff on it so shit a couple of weeks later, on December 30th, the body of Bertha Jean Ma- Mason would be discovered in an abandoned building, and she was strangled to death. Ugh. Now, Bertha had been reported missing after going to the store, and I couldn't get an exact date on that, but Bertha was five months pregnant at the time of her <gasps> murder. Okay. Yeah. All right, Benjamin, that is fucked. Yeah. Like, you can clearly see that she's pregnant at mm. five months. Sorry, my, I'm all, I'm bubbling on the insides. Yeah. It's because you're boiling with anger from the inside. I am, too. <laughs> Shortly after this, on January 3rd of 1992, while workers were demolishing a building, they would come across the body of 36-year-old sex worker Patricia Cannon George. Now... Patricia had actually been put on a wanted list in earlier in early December of 1991. She had been caught in some kind of drug den bust in Woodward Corridor. And basically, after she got put on the wanted list, she kind of like laid low and no one had really heard from her since. So mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to say like when exactly she went missing from early December into January 3rd. But... Atkins would actually reveal that Patricia was his first kill, not Debbie Ann Friday, like everyone had thought. So Debbie Ann had been discovered on December 14th, so we know that Patricia was killed before then. Right. And he would also say that him and Patricia were basically smoking crack together in an abandoned building when he... For whatever reason, like as soon as the drug hit his system, he became enraged and would rape and then choke her to death when she tried to leave. (sighs) Later on January 25th of 1992, the sodomized and strangled body of 39-year-old Vicky Trulove would be found. Mm. 
Now, at this point, obviously, police are becoming aware of the fact that there's a serial killer on their hands. They have found, like, I think I just said four or five bodies. It's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. They would even go on to indeed capture the serial killer and then let him go. Because, you know, what that's, the fuck? that's just how the world works. So a lieutenant in the 13th precinct, which is the Woodward precinct, took a crew to search the area of the killings in late January. And they actually found Benjamin Atkins, the guy who did all of these killings. But obviously at the time they had no idea. They would find him asleep in a vacant building. So they would wake him up, bring him into questioning. Obviously Atkins is going to deny doing anything so he was like no I didn't do this I'm just sleeping here I'm just homeless I'm just a crack addict like there's yeah. another guy on the street Sorry. they would have no sufficient evidence at the time and they would just have to let him go and so they just put his name on the suspect list and were like okay you can I mean I get it I it's yeah uh, I mean I get it but evidence, I'm like you, you fucking can't. had him you fucking had him yeah it's just like it, it could have st- it could have stopped right there it could have stopped a lot sooner actually I won't get into that but it's, um, <sighs> it of course wouldn't take long after this being picked up by the cops did nothing to deter Benjamin because on February 17th of 1992 the bodies of three women were found in a Monterey hotel in Highland Park. At the same time. Three women. Three? In separate rooms. What the fuck? Three women on the same day were just found in separate rooms, dead. So you have 34-year-old Valerie Chalk, 23-year-old Janita Hardy, and a Jane Doe, who to this day has yet to be identified. Holy shit. All we know, all that I could find is that she was around 15, (gasps) 15 years old. Oh, goosies. Okay. I I have, like, where's that familial DNA evidence at to compare to, yo? I know. Where's the fucking, where's your parents for, like, wondering where they're being? It's just like, I got goosebumps three times reading that. It's just like, anybody? So, so upsetting. To this day, they haven't identified her, and it's just, it, it's sad because he went he went for these women that he knew would not be cared about. He knew that, like, even though some of them were reported missing, it's like, especially, it goes on to say, like, Detroit, <laughs> hi, if you live in the U.S., then you know Detroit's not the best. If you don't live in the U.S., Detroit is, like, not the best. It has, it went bankrupt. Like, it's a has a lot of crime in that town. I know, yeah. like... Not it, very stable, no. to say the least. It had They had, like, over 800, like, tips that they were trying to go through. And I know at the time that these murders were going on, they had, like, 129 other murders, I think I read in an article. Oh, so shit. there was a lot of crime going on. I mean, it it it's just utter chaos right now. So... He was just and of going. Of course, the murders of like, you know, sex workers usually don't gain as much attention from authorities on trying to, you know, get 
them justice. No. And so And this is the nineties. With all the other shit going on, you can imagine where their focus was, you Not know? here. Not here. It's the nineties. And like, um, I know I I think I had written it later on down, but it's it's kind of surprising because you know, I was a child in the nineties. I don't uh I wasn't aware of, like, my surroundings pretty much. Like, I was just fucking drooling and sucking my thumb. So (laughs) it's really surprising to read this article. Like, um, Benjamin Atkins declares himself later on that he's gay. And that's, like, one of his excuses is, like, oh, I'm gay. There's no way I could have committed these crimes. So that's why he was into sodomizing, I bet. Yeah, I think that I think it really was because almost all of his victims were sodomized. So, um. But when he was interviewing with the cops, the cop, <laughs> I like, and this was totally okay for you to say because it was the fucking 90s. And I just forget that this is literally a part of our life. The cop would say to Benjamin, like, are you sure that you're gay? Like, how could you even imagine the thought of holding a man, holding another man like that? And I was like, what the, what the fuck does him being gay? gay have to do with this i'm sorry like it well yeah but he could have also been just saying that i guess not to downplay his feelings if he was you know if he was gay it's obviously i know but as he would mention as the cop like there's just like what the fuck does that have to do with the investigation true because they're probably thinking that someone who's not gay did it so they're like are you sure Hmm. I don't know. That's just like, I'm just. Which just kind of makes it twisted because if he was gay, like, he was still carrying around a condom because he was still using his penis at, at certain points, I guess. Yeah. So. I don't know. But yeah. It's know. just, it's just crazy to read about, like, the different uh, time zone, <laughs> time frame that this was in. Oh. Just right. how, like, I was so shocked. I was like, whoa, officer, excuse me. I. I understand that they may that may be a false claim, but that doesn't mean you gotta like say that it's disgusting to hold another man. <laughs> right, right. I know the way he worded it, like to hold another man. <laughs> yeah, like what the fuck? I was just like, wow, I completely forgot that um people were actually like that. Or and still aren't right. to this day, unfortunately. Yeah, all of the bodies had been found in different rooms and all of them had been raped, sodomized, and then strangled to death. So relatives of Valerie Chalk would actually say that she had been put on a wanted list in November of 1991 before she had disappeared. So uh, after she got put on the wanted list, she completely vanished. She went off the grid. Hmm. And it would be described in some clippings that I found that nearly all... So all of his victims pretty much had been found at least partially naked. Um, Their hands would be bound behind them and almost always they would have something stuffed down their throats. Police would also go on to believe that the killer would be extremely skilled in the way that he had pressed just hard enough on their throats to kill them but not hard enough to break a hyoid bone in their throats which is apparently extremely fragile and easy to break when you choke someone the bodies would also always be hurled into corners shower (gasps) stalls and closets when they were found like they're you when he, he like when he says that he hates sex workers you can tell in the way that he killed 
that there was such a lack of remorse for these bodies that he would just dispose of them in the grossest places, would not care how he left them. I mean, you could really see the motive behind it of this was just pure. It like it's so disgusting. One of the things that he had said in his confession with the police was that he pretty much his goal in life was to exterminate all sex workers. Oh, my God. Mommy issues. Big mommy issues. Big mommy issues. And that is just issues. not your God-given right to carry it, out your anger. On fucking uh, on others. And it, did not. No way did they deserve that at all. Like, fuck you. Fuck you. Like, you are not God. You can't play God. You don't do that. Yeah. Who the fuck? Ugh. Fuck. Ugh, I just, I can't. I can't with this guy. I really can't. I, it, it sucks. Like, it doesn't suck. It's like, I get that you had a hard childhood. I really understand the trauma that you went through. And I get that that should be validated. But the second that you decided to be this complete asshole and go after women who can't even defend themselves against you, fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck like, you. that, No. There are people who have gone through worse and make better life choices than that. And that's when it comes with the whole, like, nature, nurture, whatever. It's just like, no. At the end of the day, it's a fucking choice in my mind. And as soon as you choose to go with that bad shit, like, uh uh-uh. Out of here. Bye. Can't with him. Because even from the mental illness aspect, like, even if he was mentally ill... You, you still don't do those things. Yeah. Oh, and we're getting, I'm getting back to that point because, yeah, yeah, there's, I have one juror, homeboy, and he says it, he says it great, great. Gives a great quote, and I'm like, hell yeah, hell bro. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, brother. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> so, obviously, at this time, cops are, like, running around with their fucking heads cut off, like, fucking little <laughs> chickens. They can't. And they even get a little angel that comes and tries to help them a little familiar oh. face pop ex- blah, blah, blah. A little familiar <laughs> face pops back up you remember our homegirl donna 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 so she is fucking fed up she's over it she's like um i think i know what's going on and i'm fucking tired of seeing this she Originally, of course, had been too embarrassed to report the crime when it had initially happened to her to police. But once she started seeing these killings happening, she's like, fuck that shit. Fuck this noise. I'm done. I'm not doing this. Something has to happen. So she goes and she gives a report like fucking hardest thing ever. I can only imagine is to go back, basically relives the trauma that she went through with her ordeal with Atkins tells the police and it says months later yeah yeah having to relive that like after you probably already tried your best to like kind of just forget it and says like this is what happened to me this is his name she gives the name tony because it was his middle name and i believe that's the name that he would go by i guess his street name yeah his street name (laughs) and she would say there's this guy tony he likes taking women into vacant buildings. He took me into a vacant building, raped and tried to kill me. Here's my name. Here's my address. Here's my phone number. Like, if you need me, I'm here. Like, let's Mm -hmm. get this motherfucker. Hell yeah, Donna. Hell yeah, Donna. Uh, Too bad for motherfucking... Mm. 
<sighs> sorry, 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 sorry. Don't be sorry. I'm, I'm gonna rant. Let's, I'm gonna rant along rant. this episode. Have you not fucking? Mm, let me crack my neck and get into this because <laughs> fucking my homegirl Donna did every fucking thing that she could, and the police failed her in every fucking way. Failed society. Failed whatever the fuck their job is even supposed to be, and the other women that died after this because she put in the report on March 6th, okay? Okay. I understand that we're dealing with a place that has a lot of murders, but it does not excuse the fact that it would take until (gasps) mid-July, July, to be contacted. Holy shit. Especially when it's regarding multiple cases. Multiple murders, multiple women, multiple lives. The sex workers reporting something fucking four or five months after it happened. It's probably nothing. I, mm. I get into a quote later that better describes it, but I don't want to lose my place. So I'm just going to hold, just going to hold this anger and we're just going to keep on. Mm. Yeah. Like there's a lot of reasons I could say, but it's mainly like they look at the race, they look at her occupation, they look at that and they just say, it's another sex worker. It's another woman that like, she doesn't have a family. We don't need to worry about her because society isn't going to care if she goes, which it's like fucking ridiculous. These fucking exhale on that one. Ugh, fuck you if you think that any of what I just said is fucking true. You should not be listening to this show because we don't fucking like you. And it would just even get worse because, of course, like, you have two cop jurisdictions, two different precincts, and they start to play the game of whose micropenis is bigger. Granted, (laughs) their answer, they're both pretty fucking small. And it would basically cost crucial clues to be missed, and it would cost women's lives. End of day. So Highland Park detectives wanted a suspect list that Detroit detectives had gathered. And Detroit Park or and Detroit detectives basically wanted like everything that Highland wanted. So Detroit was like the big daddy because everyone knows Detroit, no one knows Highland. So Detroit is like the really big police office, whatever, and then Highland is like the really small cops that don't have a lot of resources mom and pop yeah mom and pop cop shop kind of deal so in highland sergeant james dobson would call detroit and say hey okay we want this information let's work together let's do a swap and detroit would say okay let's let's do it so they would go meet up a little little swap go down to detroit two detroit detectives would show up grab all the files and then basically say, oops, we forgot our files, but we'll call you when we catch him. What the fuck? <laughs> I'm just like, is this really happening? Like, yeah. Ew, that's totally something out of like a show. <laughs> I know. I'm just like, you're the fucking asshole. We'll call you when we catch him. I'm like, you're like, oops. <laughs> Oopsie, had poopsie. Me when I hit a curb. <laughs> Me when I take too large of an edible. I'm just like, what the, what the fuck is going on? I really, I really don't like the Detroit officers. And if I had to pick, like, I'm going for the underdog because one Detroit officer, mm, 
he explained himself by saying, I would sure like to close this case. This is exactly how he sounds, by the way. (laughs) I, not we, not you, but me. There's no better feeling in the world than having some jerk tell you he's killed somebody and you are the one who stopped the killing. Um, um no asshole. There's it's, no I in It's this narcissistic quote right up above that I just said. Go play back 30 seconds if you missed it. This exact mindset is the reason why more women would be killed. This it like no, you didn't fucking save lives. You took lives. You made... I hope this officer fucking listens to this and knows you killed more women because of this mentality. Because yeah, of your inability to fucking on the work. fucking thing alone, right? Like, it's... You're a fucking idiot. I, not we, not you, but me. Shut the fuck up. Ugh. I was gonna say there's no I in team, but he clearly wasn't on that team he, he, But anyways. he's the guy that goes, there's clearly a me. i want to say that highland should get some credit and be like some kind of like a good cop in the situation but honestly um i don't really think so at the end of the day because of course at both of these precincts would say tell their supervisors oh everyone's fully cooperating there's no problem so like i get that you did it dirty but at the same time like you Highland didn't do anything to like absolve the problem. They right. were just like, whatever, it's fine. So I don't well, agree they probably with that. Couldn't do much. I get it, but like, fuck, whatever. At least like make a fucking record of it, other than in yeah, a fucking true. article after the whole thing has been solved. So either way, it would take basically Highland Park investigators until July to get a report of Donna's experience and. Apparently, Detroit never got their copy, even though apparently it was said that it was sent there. So that was like their excuse for why. And a Detroit officer would say, hmm, this is where my anger comes back. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. It's easy with 2020 hindsight to say, oh, she's the one. But we had tons of prostitutes upstairs telling us they had been nearly strangled. Okay. Okay, so why don't you fucking do your job and make sure that these sex workers aren't strangled? Just a thought. Just a fucking thought. Just a fucking thought for food for thought. Whatever. Yeah. Obviously, this officer is talking fucking out of his ass and can eat shit. (laughs) just yeah, so upset fucking eat your own because fucking nasty cop shit yeah because meanwhile while he's spewing this sewer garbage nonsense bullshit on april 9th of 1992 28 year old brenda mitchell's lifeless body would be found in an abandoned two-story house on woodward in highland park now she had been found completely <sighs> naked aside from a thin scarf that would be left wrapped around her neck and she would also have some blood coming out of her mouth. Oh. Now, she had been gone missing. She had been declared missing four days earlier when she had gone out with her two kids to the store. Oh, no. And I really, I really tried to get more information on, like, 
did she just vanish and her two kids couldn't find her or like did she at least make it back home that's all I could get and it's like I'm sorry I wish I could I really wish I could give more information but of course these women are sex workers and they're black so you know that the media didn't give two shits about them so I really tried hard guys but like fuck my mind is just it's so theorizing sad. so on what happened like so so those like, children it, and it's it's even more upsetting because her death had originally been ruled an overdose so when they when they found her body they of course went in and they did the autopsy and when they do the autopsy they had found a lethal amount of drugs in her system prior and it had been put in there prior to her death mm-hmm. and at that point, they just saw that and they said, oh, there's a lethal dose. There's a naked woman. We don't really care. We're not going to investigate it any further. It was a lethal overdose. I know that there was one guy in the Highland Park that had kind of like made a mental note maybe and said this maybe potentially could have been it, but it would ultimately be Benjamin Atkins saying like, oh no, I killed Brenda Michelle. And that would be like when they realize, oh, she's one of the victims. Right. Ugh. It would only be days later on April 15th of 1992 when the death toll would hit nine and 27-year-old Vicki Beasley Brown's beaten and broken body would be found in a small sunlit closet on, in an empty apartment building on Highland Avenue. Oh my god. So many vacant buildings, first that, of all. It's like a huge vacant strip where I guess like a lot of the homeless liked to live hang out and also like you i really i really don't remember when detroit went bankrupt but i think uh, this was definitely the process the beginning stages of it right so a lot of um like businesses and whatnot were going out yeah going under yeah i could totally be wrong but don't quote me on that but i think that's just my guess um now Vicki Beasley Brown had last been seen alive on March 25th, and she had been found April 15th, so it's like almost a month. Now, unfortunately, we only descend deeper into fucking madness because we have the mayor at the time, Mayor Lindsay Porter, great guy, no he's not, <laughs> so he would talk to profilers. Oh, okay. one great guy in this. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> No, 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 no. Because, see, he would, so he would talk to profilers, and they would say, like, oh, you know, I really think, since a lot of these killings are happening in the Highland Park, Woodward Avenue corridor area, which, I like, take a hint at what this dude's nickname is, like, <laughs> yeah, it's this area, and so he, he was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that he lives right around here. There's no way that he would move out and dump all these bodies here it would make more sense that he lives here and Mm -hmm. yeah so the mayor goes cool and then he goes to the public on tv and goes the killer just dumps the bodies in highland park he doesn't live here what the fuck (laughs) okay no (laughs) i'm like all right fine that's that's great that's great communication skills we got going on down here Uh, The cops, like I had mentioned before, were also getting, like, a shit ton of tips from the public, and it would go every which way. Like, one of the stories that I read about was how one 
wife who was a nurse was like you hate women so much i bet you're the one who's slaying all those women and the husband was so upset and he was like yeah i am and then she went <gasps> and called the cops and they so they spent like half a day uh following that lead and obviously the guy was like no i was just fucking upset but i'm like oh don't Good even in anger don't don't admit Good that you're her. a serial killer just not well, yeah it's fucked up but like good for her for at least calling the cops i know i mean like yeah she's a freaking true crime uh lover for sure but (laughs) so yeah it it took the detectives like half a day to figure out that that was false and that's just like one tip so they have a lot of stuff going on and obviously it's taking a lot of time um but they would miss yet another attempt during this chaos to catch the killer when in mid-May, there was a guy that Donna knew, and he actually went to the station to re-report her rape and attack for a second time to basically say, okay. hey, my friend Donna came in. This happened to her. We think we know who the killer is. Like, can y'all do something about it? Hello? Like, ding, ding, ding. I don't know. I just fucking, they didn't do anything about ding, it. Ding, dong, ding. I'm just like, how? How? I get one is maybe okay, I guess, understandable, but two, twice, twice? Come on. Come on, guys. And of course... It's a party. uh, Fuck. (laughs) And on June 15th, the 10th body would be discovered when the partially decomposed corpse of Joanne O'Rourke would be found inside the shell of a building at Woodward and Rickton in Highland Park. Hmm. now of course officials are becoming desperate at this point they have a guy who has like no remorse for killing women has no time frame for when he's gonna do it it's he's just like going back and forth back and forth like we don't even know what day these women are actually being killed on so we don't know what rate he's really even going it's madness at this point It doesn't help that there's also, like, a huge primary election going on at the time for sheriff. So Mm. it it kind of just clouds a lot of, I think, the motive behind the case. That's why Detroit wanted to handle it. Yeah. Uh, So I know Sheriff Robert Ficano, whatever, I don't really care if I say it right or wrong, but he would get his deputies and basically send them door to door asking for information. Little did they know they had the fucking clue in their laps the whole entire time, but it would really just kind of go this way nothing was coming about it and they would soon get an agent by the name of paul Lindsay from the fbi that would join and basically help them get to donna's tip he came in and was like okay detroit you're being a little bit of a bitch you need to back off okay me and my other agent we're gonna comb through all these tips ourselves and that's basically i guess when they would notice donna's tip i don't know if this article that i was reading was trying to paint them in a good light because i also read in another article that um donna like just straight up went to the cops herself and like knocked on the window because so what would happen was that they would go on to suspect a name a man by the name of anthony starks because donna would say hey a guy by the name of tony Tony, had attacked me um and he, he he kind of he was checking the little checkmark boxes. So mm-hmm. he was a former psychiatric patient who frequented the homeless kitchen. 
Um, and he would also like love to hang around sex workers, but I mean, it was more so for the sex, not the killing. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, baby. mm -hmm. He's just the original kind of sex, drugs, and rock and roll type of dude. So they would actually raid his home and find nothing, but that they didn't stop from there. They would like pursue him further. And so he had actually taken a woman to an abandoned house where the second body, Bertha Mason, had been found, which, okay, yes, I do understand. That looks very, very, very suspicious. Yeah, but... And so they would, cops would, like, wait a little bit, and they're like, oh, my God, he's probably in there killing her right now. So they would storm in and basically find them, like, naked and having just finished the coitus, you Uh, know. So they were like, oh, I I don't know if this is the guy. But how often do those abandoned buildings and vacant buildings get used by everyone everyone. in that homeless and sex working community? Yeah. Because it seems to be surrounding that. It's like a pretty popular strip for that. Yeah. yeah. So like all of them are using their. <laughs> yeah. Using their resources. <laughs> exactly. So like in so in the other article that I was reading, I think it was like when they were raiding Anthony Stark's home that Donna would go up and like go up to the police and be like, yo, you're raiding the wrong fucking house, my dudes. Like go this Donna. is. Yeah, I'm like, you got it all fucking wrong. This is what's happening. Like, take me in. I will help you out. So I think that this is really what happened because the cops clearly don't know how to do their fucking job clearly. Mm-hmm. And um, it was at this point that Donna was brought in. She had actually gone into a lineup with Anthony Starks and said, like, that's not fucking him. And finally they were like, okay, we'll listen to you. So who's this Tony that you're talking about? And she's like, I'll fucking show you. Let's go. So she would actually get into the cop car and basically ride around Detroit and Highland Park looking for Benjamin. Now, it would take a while. It would take a few weeks. But finally, she looks out of her window of the cop car and sees Benjamin Atkins on Woodward in the Cass Corridor area. And she goes, my God, that's him. So on August 21st of 1992, Benjamin Atkins would finally, finally, finally be arrested and brought into questioning by detectives. So he would give them the story about there is no way that he would have been able to do it because he was gay and he was not interested in women. When the cops would ask about the scratches and bite marks that they noticed that appeared along his chest, he merely Ah. claimed that he was a sex worker himself and that he also had a boyfriend. Oh. And this is like, again, when I... uh, read in the article like oh how could you stand to have another man in your arms after that i was just like fuck you so it would take over 12 hours of investigation and deny or of interrogation and denial but finally it would be when detective sergeant ronald saunders would look at atkins and say you've never had a father i have a son exactly your age you need to get this one off your chest talk to me benjamin atkins would finally look at him completely break down and say okay i'll tell you i did them all (gasps) so he raved that that detective pulled the right card yeah oh i know like knew exactly where to hit him so benjamin would rave wave his right to a lawyer 
And as he ate his way through five cheeseburgers, he would go down the list of victims. I know. So, like your cholesterol, sweetie. I get it. You're hungry. But if you eat too much, you're just going to get sick. Think about the calories. So it's while eating all of these cheeseburgers that he would go down the list and basically name all of his victims including ones that had not even been discovered yet oh so what oh no just to him like naming victims that haven't been discovered you know just all shit to that because i mean thankfully he did that to at least help them get found or whatever but just like fuck there's more, you know? Yeah. Technically, his... I get really confused here. Technically, his 11th and 12th victim, and I say 12th because there is one woman's name, LaTanya Shawanda Smith, who is 29 years old, who is mentioned in these articles. She's not mentioned as one who was killed, but I know they say beaten, So I'm not sure if after this he admitted, oh, I beat her and I didn't kill her or... And she didn't come forward, like, Yeah, like, I get really, really confused with what LaTanya's story is and I try to get some detail on it, but I... It's a little... That's a big gray area. But either Mm. way, for sure, his 11th and final victim, final-ish, question mark... Right. Uh, he would describe as 21-year-old Oceana Weimer. And I believe he had said that he had dumped her body in some kind of secret underground closet that no one could really... Or it wasn't underground, but just some kind of like deserted closet. And as soon as he said this, police would go to where he said her body was and find her decomposing body. Oh. So. He would tell detectives how it pained him that he never had a father growing up in life, and it was basically his mother who drove him to have a deep-seated hatred towards women. And Benjamin essentially could no longer suppress this, and he just had to act on his feelings, if you even call it that. Right. Urges. 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 What is... What does Dexter call it? The darkness. Dark passenger. Oh, I'm so excited for the season. Sorry. Sorry, I just have to say that. Um, Benjamin would say that it was the crack and cocaine that would essentially give him the boost that he needed to act out on his hatred. And in his words, exterminate as many prostitutes as he could. Oh my god. Like. Ew, that E word exterminate it's just not, gross ugh, i can't i can't with this guy like you're not the fucking ghostbusters it, of sex he workers. like has such a god com- it's not even a god yeah, complex, god complex but, just, but like, of just like acting like you you would even be able to do that in the first place okay well because listen to what he says next so during his confession he would look down at his hands and look up at detectives and say See these big hands I got? It's always the same. Both thumbs over the Adam's apple and fingers interlocked behind her neck. 
He would continue about how over the months of his killing spree, he had perfected his technique and that he had learned how to keep a woman on the verge of consciousness while raping and murdering her. Fucking monster. 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 This isn't isn't mental illness. This is just him, like, just not having a fucking mind. Yeah, I mean, that is just him being a complete monster. Like, the amount of chills I get reading this, it's disgusting. Because he specifically took into account his methods. Yes. And the detail of him interlocking his thumbs over the Adam's apple, it's just sickening. He would say that like he had used the same method to throw off detectives but i'm kind of confused because i'm like if you use the same method wouldn't that make it like easier but i don't know he had a thing with like using the same type of method and even after so the whole donna getting away thing like really really got to him and he had even come up with a dead for sure method where he would essentially check the woman's pulse after he was done strangling them, and then he would check their heart, their heartbeat, and then essentially push their stomach to ensure that all of the air was out of their lungs. Okay. And, like, basically to make sure that they they weren't getting back up. Yeah. Ugh. And those are specific steps He said he did, like, each time. In the process. It's, like... It's so methodic. He he definitely had his... That's what I was getting to. He definitely... (laughs) No, he he for sure had his ritual that he... It's just... To think if the cops didn't step in when... If Donna... Sorry, scratch that. If Donna didn't step in when she did to really solve this case for everyone, to think of the amount of damage that would have happened afterwards is astronomical. I mean, it he... would have kept happening. He was on a complete, like, seeing red bloodbath. He was on like, a roll. To, and, okay, so... Uh, Donna should have earned a badge. <laughs> Donna should have become sheriff of the fucking police department. I'm just saying. Just saying. It's just like, what the fuck? So he would even tell investigate. He would speak on the murder of Juanita Harvey. I am so sorry. I probably said her name wrong. It is Juanita Harvey. I probably said it wrong. I'm sorry. Well, I Juanita can... sounds right. Uh, no, I think the How first time I said it, wrong? I did not say Juanita. <laughs> uh, like you did. Oh, just I did. Fast. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> I was just like, wow, that name finally clicked in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of the murder of Juanita Harvey, he would tell investigators that I had never truly planned to kill her after raping her, after having sex with her, and hating her for being a woman. I simply had a desire to kill her for being a woman. I just wanted to hate her and cause her harm. Eval. Eval. I can't with your hair looking like that, too. <laughs> like a Charles Mason kind of vibe. Have you seen the TikTok where it's like, be cute, be... It's, 
cool to be silly and goofy. And then it's like the video of Charles Mason in his prison suit. Manson, Mason, whatever. And he's like, <laughs> just like making silly faces. And I'm like, ooh, okay. <laughs> so Benjamin would go on to say that the reason for killing all of these women was so that they wouldn't be able to identify or press charges against him. And of the police interrogation, the police would say that Atkins was actually very well-spoken and had a rather large vocabulary. And they would also talk about how Atkins had actually considered turning himself in before he was arrested. Hmm. Overall, I'm sure he considered it, but... <laughs> what was he going to do it? Probably, like... It probably, the other option weighed out. <laughs> like, yeah, I consider not to have a glass of wine every day. Do I still do it? Yeah. Yeah, I considered <laughs> having a monstrous glass of mimosa this morning at 11:45 a.m did i do it yes <laughs> hell yeah i did but sometimes you don't always do what you consider doing exactly okay. overall the confession would be 87 pages long yeah fucking long handwritten Ooh, i would hope not <laughs> never mind that was i think question. that they would type it <laughs> Probably recorded, right? Yeah, eighty-seven pages of many of transcripts. Like some someone had to type that shit out. Fucking long. <laughs> I don't know. Never mind. <laughs> so Benjamin Atkins was twenty-three at the time, and would be arraigned in the Third Circuit Court in suburban Westland on one charge of murder and then two other murder charges on the thirty-sixth District Court in Detroit. And he would later get the eight charges later on. This was just at the very beginning of the investigation. Um, So like I had mentioned earlier before, all of the women have been found along a 1.4 mile stretch near Woodland Highland Park and Detroit. Um, Mm. Which for my people who are not of the U.S. of A, (laughs) 1.4 miles. Or honestly, like to be honest, like I know you're converting it, but... Even being from the U.S. of A., I don't know shit geographically. No, I don't either. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know you don't know your distances and directions. Do you know who we're talking to? (laughs) But um, geography was never my strong suit. Well, you just instilled so much Texas in us from a young age. It's like. Well, you did say that they converted weight into ounces the other day, so. I know that we can't really trust your opinion, but <laughs> for those for those who are not in the U.S. of A, two or one point four miles is two point two five ish kilometers. So really, not like if I ran it, yeah, I would be fucking dying. But in retrospect, it's really not that long of a distance. Yeah, all of the women would be discovered in an abandoned building and many of these women would be sex workers or drug addicts. During the trial, over 150 people, including relatives of the victims, would appear as witnesses for the prosecution and at the court hearing. During the trial, Atkins would again confess to all of the murderers but claim that he was insane and his lawyer would demand leniency on Atkins due to his violent childhood and drug addiction problems and essentially blamed Benjamin Atkins of having mental, emotional, and behavioral problems that stemmed from all of this. Which essentially brings us back to the beginning of our story with juror Deborah Evans. 
and her little Mm. moral dilemma. Now, this is basically everything that she's heard, and she's sitting here wondering, am I really about to send this man to jail for the rest of his life, or do I give him leniency based on his upbringing and the trials that he had to go through in his young adult, or in his childhood? It would be another juror by the name of B.J. Miller that would give this quote that would essentially change her mind and the rest of the case. Okay, I'm ready because I think I'm right there with him Um, because when he first mentioned it, I was like, okay, I could see where she, why she would think that maybe without obviously having all the details because it was at the beginning, but you know, the, anyways, yes. (laughs) Ready. (laughs) Long story short, (laughs) yes. (laughs) So, Juror B.J. Miller would say, Rape is a violent act. It's not craziness. Murder is a violent act. It's not craziness. They're still human beings. They deserved to live. After hearing that, Deborah Evans changed her mind, and Atkins' fate would be sealed. Benjamin Tony Atkins would be convicted on 11 counts of first-degree murder for the brutal slaying of 11 women in just a nine-month span, and one count of first-degree sexual conduct for the rape of Donna. In total, he would be sentenced to 11 life sentence terms to be served concurrently. He would be acquitted, though, for the attempted murder What of the fuck? Donna. She was the one lady with living experience and proof. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, I really don't know why how they couldn't uh, think that he wouldn't kill her, but I mean, I, it's not like he's going to get yeah. out of jail, so I guess, but at the same time, it's and, kind of like, wow, really, really. <laughs> I don't know. Um, she seemed very, um, almost not completely selfless because she did have his attempt on her but she really wanted to help catch the guys because it was happening to other women and could have happened to more so i feel like maybe she that's essentially be or would be happy with the idea of what what he did get sentenced with um but we never know like there might be that small like little hole where it's like he could have i like where's my justice yeah i I'm not I'm not able to find a quote afterward of Donna saying anything about it but I from what I can imagine I mean Donna really was intent on not talking about her experience until the murders started happening and she was like no I I need to speak up because I can actually right. do something about this so I really think that she was acting selfless in that. She wasn't thinking of herself. She was thinking of Mm -hmm. the other women at hand because she, you know, knew what they had went through in a sense and just really wanted to help them. So I, I, in my mind, I think she would have been completely okay with the fact that he would have been put in jail. And if that charge didn't happen, like I could imagine, but she just seemed really adamant on like the it was the victims that she cared about not so much herself in that sense so she i mean donna is really like i can't speak highly enough of her she really went above and beyond to help others at the toll of like 
reliving that trauma that she went through herself so one jury would decide three murders and a second jury would decide eight murders i kind of get confused on who's who but it was basically two juries that would decide the sentences all together and it was there was actually no physical evidence given it was solely atkins testimony or it was solely atkins confession and donna's testimonies that landed him in jail but I mean, he, it's not like he gave some kind of false confession. During his confession, he gave really, really detailed, intimate details of, like, what the victims were wearing down to their clothing color, like, jewelry that they were wearing. So, it's not like he was coerced into saying that he did it or anything like that. Like, he was actually giving evidence to say that he did it. As the verdict was read, which, fun fact, not so fun fact, it took over 10 minutes to read all of the verdicts, including, like, all of the victims' names and whatnot. Atkins, who would be 25 at the time that he was charged. Yeah. It, it takes a really long time for well, this. And that was one of the... I thought he was. Like, I know it all started from an early age. Um, started when he was, like, uh, 21, Yeah, so 22. I just forget how young he was. Yeah. So it, yeah, and it took him quite. So 23 was when he was arrested. So I guess he was like 22 ish when it started. And it would take until he was around 25 for him to finally be put in jail, which it was one of the criticisms uh, of the case. But I mean, that's like a lot of murder cases, unfortunately, right. just take a really long time to go. Like the case, the trial yeah, itself I mean, it's takes not months, really a criticism because so. even if they're arrested right away, they can be held in jail for two to five years yeah, or like anywhere from months to Crazy. five years to actually await sentencing. So it's yeah. it's really the court system. Yeah. Crazy, crazy long amount of time. It would be said that he would show no reaction uh, when they gave him his sentence and that the deputy next to him said that his only concerns at the time were basically getting a cigarette. Same. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, now, if there are any serious, serious true crime junkies out there, because I was not one of them, um, this is actually going on around the same time as the Gainesville, Florida killings it's like Mm -hmm. a college apartment killings so there were actually five women that were killed in a span of three days in the same exact apartment complex near uh the gainesville college i believe i forget the name of the college but it was in gainesville florida and this happened pretty much around the same exact time so this was in the news and pretty much a really big reason as to why this case got buried and you would think like oh if people are freaking out over five women they're really gonna freak out over 11 women well like I had said previously they were sex workers they were and not in my opinion but just in society and the media is like not important and not worth mentioning so when these five college women who happen to be white the victims yeah 
Yeah, the 11, yes. And these five women who were in college just happened to be white and all of them were murdered. It's it this just really overpowered all media Ugh. presence and like so these slangs just basically didn't get I hate mentioned. the media. The pr- dot it, com. Yeah, it's really shitty how <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Start it. <laughs> so the presiding recorder's court judge I don't even know what that means but his name was David Kerwin of this whole issue that was going on he would say the contrast between this case and the one in Gainesville Florida is very interesting I can't help but conclude that the fact that these poor African-American women addicted to crack cocaine with histories of prostitution made them different to people than five Caucasian college students. It's inescapable to me, that disparity. When it comes to crime against poor folk in urban America, nobody in mainstream America really cares. Which, mm-hmm. like, it, it's so sad how right on the money that fucking quote is. Like, it's it's so sad. Like, and we see it with cases all around the world. Like, we don't care unless it's right next to us. We don't care unless it's happening to, I guess, like, what? People that look like us? It's just ridiculous how all of these crimes, like, you see how little, like, we cared so much about the Casey Anthony case and then, like, Brittany, her case just, oh, like, got... Did you see that meme, too? Well, it wasn't a meme, but it was, like, a picture of both of them. No. Brittany next to Casey Anthony. And the caption no. was... One of these women lives free and is free wow. to have children, and it's not Britney Spears. How does that make Oh, no, I wasn't talking about Britney. <laughs> not Britney Spears, but yes, yes, I was talking about oh. um... <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I was talking about the Britney Williams case where um, she's the foster child who, right, um, yeah. Kim Parker, yeah. <laughs> episode 19 if you haven't checked it out (laughs) but yeah it's um but it's that too but it's just like crazy the disparities between if you have a something that happens to a white person versus a black the outcome of it the publicity behind it it's just disgusting completely unfortunate shouldn't happen exactly like every everyone is human everyone deserves the right like equal amount of respect and equal amount of fucking like if your child is gone if people are missing from your family you deserve to have every like every resource available to you to try and find that person it's just something about that has fucking got to change so after his conviction benjamin atkins would be transferred to charles egler reception and guidance center in jackson but due to health issues because like i had said previously he does have hiv and i it's really sketchy on the details of it. I don't know how long he had it or whatnot, but it was at this time that it was really affecting his health. And due to this, they would have to move him to Dwayne Waters Hospital. And on September 17th of 1997, Benjamin Atkins would actually die in a prison hospital after contracting an HIV-related infection. Damn. Uh, he, he was only four years into his 11-life sentence and was Damn. just 29 years old at the time. Yeah, pretty it, it is crazy because he's just like he's so fucking young it's really yeah wow. like of course um 
we, we'd all love to see him suffer in prison, but that did <laughs> that God disease, had other plans. <laughs> yeah, it, it really sometimes, ugh, well, back then, not so much. Sometimes you can live long with it. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. And yeah, I it think it really takes I, over. I just think him being homeless, he just didn't have a chance. Like, you need to have money, unfortunately, to survive right. that kind of disease. So, on. Of his death, uh, Michael Reynolds, who had actually prosecuted Benjamin, would go on to say that while no one takes joy in another's death, even one who has committed such heinous crimes, at least those who lost loved ones at Mr. Atkins' hands can take comfort in knowing that he will never be released back into society. And due to the rapid amount of attacks that he dealt to Detroit he would be dubbed the nickname American's fastest serial killer by the FBI and uh, like I've said time and time again I really do like to try and end talking about the victims but unfortunately this is just one of these cases where the victims are not highlighted they are really ignored which is very unfortunate Um, but I was able to find a few quotes uh, regarding the victim's family after Atkins was sentenced. So Rosemary Williams, who was the mother of Bertha Jean Johnson, who was the one who was uh, five months pregnant at the time, mm. had this to say of the trial. They, She would say, they should cut his hands off. He killed my daughter with those hands. They should kill him. She would go on to describe how her heart was filled or how her heart pounded with hatred and how she despised walking, watching him walk into that courtroom. She would say, I don't, care what my, I don't care what my daughter was or what she did. She had a right to live. Yvonne Whitaker, who was a sister of one of the vic- victims, would say, I just feel so sad. I told her for years that something was going to happen to her. But my sister was a human being. They all were. They didn't deserve this. Gloria Beasley, the mother of victim Vicki Beasley-Brown, who is 42, would say, This was blood, sweat, and tears. We've had enough killings in this, cil- in this city. The thing that bothered me most was the very brutal way he killed, going after girls that were tiny and small, as though he was hunting defenseless girls. So, yeah, I just want to end off by giving a list of all of the victims' names just to in remembrance of them. Uh, so Donna, and that, again, that is a pseudonym. That's not her real name, though you can find it online if you really want to. I just want to give respect to her. Um, so she was attacked in October of 1991. She was 36 at the time. Um, we have Debbie and Friday. Survived. And she survived, Yes. We have Debbie Ann Friday, who is 30. She was found on December 14th of 1991 in Highland Park. We have Bertha Jean Mason, 26, who was found on December 30th of 1991. She was five months pregnant at the time and left behind three children. Patricia Cannon George was 36 and was found on January 3rd of 1992 in Detroit. Vicki Truelove was 39 and was found on January 25th of 1992 in Detroit. Valerie Chalk was 34 and found on February 17th of 1992 in Monterey Hotel, room 68 of Highland Park. 
Juanita Hardy was 23 and found at Monterey Motel, room 35, on February 17th of 1992 in Highland Park. The Jane Doe, who has yet to be identified to this day, was found at Monterey Motel Room, room 18, on February 17th of 1992, and she was aged 15 around that time, or guessed to be around the age of 15. Brenda Mitchell was 38 and found on April 9th of 1992 in Highland Park. She was the mother to an 18-year-old son. Vicki Beasley Brown was 43 and found on April 15th of 1992 in Highland Park. Joanne O'Rourke was found was 40 and found on June 15th of 1992 in Highland Park. Oceana Weimer was 22 and found on August 21st of 1992 in Highland Park. And Latanya Shawanda Smith, 29. And I'm really not sure what the status was with her, but I know in some sources that she was labeled a victim and was labeled as the 12th one. Either attacked or not. But yeah, so that is the brutal slayings of the 11 women done by Benjamin Atkins, a.k.a. The Woodward Corridor Killer. My ears hurt after that one. Taking the time, like typing it was one thing, but actually taking the time to say all of those names. Yeah. Crazy. So heartbreaking. So sad. It's like. And the time frame. um, Like nine months that all of. All of this, less, more than a body a month. How? I can't. And, you know, part of me is like, fuck media coverage, who cares? But it really does help sometimes in spreading the word and helping investigations. Yeah, So it's almost necessary. So the fact that cases like these get buried and don't receive the same amount of attention as others because of the color of victim skin and the color of the murder skin like and of like where it's placed the occupation where it, where of it took place and the, the occupation of the victims and, the and lives like of the victims it it like no no five lives outweigh 11 in any way and even then it's like in what world do we respect five lives and not respect 11 like either way and all of these lives that were lost were tragic and should have not happened. But we need, we need to give them both the same amount of respect. Yeah. Because What's at up the with end Boston of Boston media. Yeah. It, it's like these Boston, Detroit. Detroit. <laughs> Jesus. What's but up yes, with Detroit I, media? It's like at the end of the day, like these are fucking, you have families and even like, so, so fucking what if they don't have families that care about them? Like I, I care about them. I want them to have someone to care about them to say, Hey, we need to find these girls. It doesn't matter what they do. Like no one in this world should go uncared for unnoticed. Or if something bad happens to them, the cops shouldn't reach out and help. Like that's their fucking job. That's what we hire them. We pay them whatever fucking amount we want to like, it's just all this stupid shit that's going on right now. It's like, we want to fight. These cops want to fight for their wage. Well, why don't they fight for the wage by fucking doing their jobs first? Period. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) 
<laughs> period. I'm just like what she when said. you start when you start working and like doing your jobs right, then we'll start this whole fucking argument of okay. Well, it's how like much are you not even about doing it right, but how about just trying to take it seriously? Like that's step just trying one. to like take into account that that's someone's fucking daughter at the what end the of the fuck day. Else are you like there what would for? you want for yours? Yeah. Take what? it seriously. Jeez. Can't. Can't. But yeah. That that's it. That's uh that's the case. I really wish I could have given you more on those women. I really I'm wish I'm also need to get better at digging. One day I will be and maybe we can do an update, but until then, yeah. Cheers to one day me learning how to properly look up the Google. Because <laughs> just like googling their names and like trying to dig up anything was so sad it was so morbid i couldn't Mm. i had to stop after a while because i was like wow we just really don't care cheers to um sex workers not being subjected to a forgotten category or you know seen as humans who aren't cared for or cared about or that wouldn't be anything other than fucking human beings so like hello sex work has been the number one industry since all of time let's give them a a little bit more respect than that (laughs) okay it's like the number it's like it's been the number one job for a very long time it's we need a little bit more respect for it okay and everyone's guilty, so <laughs> yeah, let's let's not okay. Ugh, can't can't with it. So God, guys, fuck. Sorry, sorry. It's always such an awkward way to end these. Yeah, thank you for my boozas. Yeah, the booze is gone. So <laughs> if you want more boozes, <laughs> follow us on a TikTok, a Twitter, a Insta, YouTube. I think that's it, right? Yeah. Uh, R-A-R-W podcast. I loved that. (laughs) You got to do that every time now. (laughs) All right. And until next time, guys. Bye. Bye.